Acts chapter 19. Let us pray again. Our Father, now we come to that time that we have set aside to read and to study your word. We need to know your word. We thank you for your word. Your word teaches that the person who meditates on it day and night is like a tree planted by a river. Always prospering. Always bringing forth fruit in its season. That's your word that does that. That's your word. Help us, Lord God, to love your word. To learn from your word. To be doers, doers, doers of your word. Thank you, Lord. Help us to listen. Help me to please think and speak and help all of us to listen and think, believe and obey. More of your grace, more of your goodness to us is your word. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. This is Paul's, we've started Paul's third missionary trip. And part of what Paul has done on this trip is he's gone and he's visited some of the other uh, places where he had already gone and where, church, where churches had already been started. Now we come to a place where he made a very short pause on his journey to Jerusalem and he had preached to some people and they begged him to stay, right? And uh, he was not able to because... He had made a vow and he wanted to get to Jerusalem on time to take care of all of the things related to that. But now, uh, eventually he went back to the Antioch church and he launched out. He traveled through some places and now he's come back to Ephesus. In the interim, what has happened at Ephesus was that Apollos came there, right? And Apollos came there and he did some preaching and teaching. But at the time when he first came there, he had only known of the ministry of John the Baptist, right? And so it was here that he met up with Aquila and Priscilla, and they took him all the way to the full knowledge of Jesus, which is John the Baptist's preaching and ministry was pointing people ahead to Jesus. So Aquila and Priscilla filled him in on all of that. And then he was sent over to Corinth, where Paul had been, right? So guys are like kind of crossing paths and everyone serving the Lord together. But all of that sets the context for what happens here. Now, we won't get through, uh, it'll take us a few weeks to get through of all this, but we'll just take like the, uh, the beginning of it here for today, the first seven verses, and take a look at that. So let's read kind of the first part of, of uh, Paul's experience here at Ephesus, which goes on for a couple of years, by the way. Paul ends up spending a good amount of time in this place, and it's very fruitful. We'll make more of that in the weeks that come. But here we go. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism, that being a reference to John the Baptist. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, 
they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And then he goes into the synagogue, and we'll, we'll, pick, that up. we'll pick that up next week. All right, so there you go. Just uh, let's unpack these verses a little bit for today. It says that, um, again, like I told you before, Apollos has gone on to Corinth at this point, And Paul, after he had passed through the upper regions, if you know where Ephesus is, it's in western, what would have been Asia in the day, Asia Minor. It's in western Turkey. And in fact, some of the things that we'll read about as we read through chapter 19 a couple of the places that are made reference to were very famous in the ancient world, and the ruins still exist today, which is kind of cool. Um, but uh, he comes after he passed through the upper regions. If you know the geography, the upper regions would be a reference to you know some of the places, Cappadocia, uh, Galatia, you know places where he had preached before, and he had gone passed through there and visited some of those churches again, where where some ministry had been done. But now he comes to Ephesus. And we're told there that he finds some disciples. And this whole thing starts off with then, uh, it becomes really this, this little passage in the beginning of this. What it becomes is a study in kind of some of the basic elements of salvation. Uh, some of the, 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 the basic importance of how the ministry of John the Baptist, which was a fulfillment of everything that Old Testament prophets were looking ahead to, not everything, but a big part of it, how that then transferred over into the ministry of Jesus. One of the things that the first century apostles faced was John the Baptist, when he was ministering in Judea, had become someone who was very significant and he had reached a lot of people. We're told multitudes went out to the Jordan River to listen to him and respond to the word and they were baptized, right? And some of those were people who lived in Judea, but some of those were people who had come from various places throughout the world to hear him. And they had gone back having believed John the Baptist's message, which was what? He had preached that they needed to repent, and they needed to repent because the Messiah was coming. Messiah was at hand, in fact. So his message was looking ahead to Jesus, who, was, who is the Messiah, who had not yet, at the point where he was in the height of his ministry, been revealed to the world. So what someone who heard the preaching of John the Baptist, and, you know, let's, let's also reasonably conclude that it doesn't even necessarily have to be people who had heard John the Baptist's message directly from John the Baptist. You know, there may have been a, a degree or two of removal in that these people who had heard him in Judea when they went back to the places where they had come from, they themselves, like Apollos, had preached the words that John the Baptist, and so they made converts, if you will, to the baptism of John the Baptist. So you have people that they had not necessarily personally heard John the Baptist, but they were aware of the message of the forerunner, who himself was a fulfillment of prophecy, that he would come and prepare the way for the Messiah, right? And so people in various lands, like Asia... Asia Minor, like Ephesus, had heard of the ministry of John the Baptist and they believed and they responded. And what they were called to believe was Messiah, the ancient prophesied Messiah was at hand. You need to repent. You need to be ready. You need to be baptized. 
These people were considered disciples because they were people who believed in the promise of Messiah who was going to come. Right? They weren't in the strict theological and supernatural understanding of this, in the strictest sense, saved yet. But here you see the sovereignty of God. Because I don't think that there's a single person who believed the word of John the Baptist and then later was lost, somehow somehow did not hear the rest of it, you know, and then like died and went to hell or something like that. I don't I don't think that's the point. I think people who receive the word of John the Baptist, God here's an example of God very, very far away in a completely different land, reaching them with the fulfillment of John the Baptist's message. You see the sovereignty of God. How many of you know this and realize this, that while we evangelize and while we preach and while we share the gospel, it's God who's reaching out to the world. It is the Lord who is reaching out to lost sinners through us. And listen, if someone is God's, God's not going to miss them. God's not going to lose them. God's not going to forget them. God is going to accomplish his sovereignly ordained purposes in reaching everyone who is his. And he knows who are his before they even repent and believe. Amen? That's our merciful, powerful God and his salvation. So here you get an example of this. It says he finds some disciples and verse 2, he said to them, this is an interesting question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, implied by that question was what? That, number one, they believed, but it was possible that they had not received the Holy Spirit. What was the difference between someone who believed and had the Holy Spirit and someone who believed and didn't yet have the Holy Spirit? Well, the person who believed and didn't have the Holy Spirit did not yet know the full message of Christ, right? The Holy Spirit is given to those who believe on Christ. So these guys were believers, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, which is why Paul asked that question. No doubt, no doubt, this is not the only time in Paul's ministry experience where he came across people who had heard either directly from John the Baptist or from others who had heard John the Baptist that message and believed it. But they needed, like, like Apollos, they needed to come to the fullness of that understanding. Thus, the question, have you received the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So look what the answer is then. Uh, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Right? So that, right then and there, reveals a couple of more things. John the Baptist did speak of the Holy Spirit, didn't he? And I'm going to read that to you in a moment. But that shows you that they had not heard about Christ, which is what Paul goes on to do, is to preach Christ to them. Let's in fact just, let's in fact just take a pause right now and read some of that to you. I just want you to turn, to turn to the prologue of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Everybody turn there. I want you to see this with me. John chapter 1 and look at verse 19 and look at the description of John the Baptist's ministry.
John 1.19 says, Now this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. In other words, here's the story of John the Baptist. Ready? When Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Because that's the big thing they wanted to know. Was, was he claiming to be the Messiah? Was this the Messiah? And so John the Apostle, in writing his account of the Gospel, makes it very clear that John the Baptist did not claim to be the Messiah. In fact, he very openly said, I am not. Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Now this is an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting response. He says, I am not, which is true. He wasn't Elijah, right? He was John the Baptist. But also in a sense, he was, right? But he wasn't revealed. He was the one that Malachi referred to at the very end of the, well, actually, turn back there. Why not? Let's go on a little, let's go on a little journey here. You don't have to turn too many pages. Go to the very end of the Old Testament. Go to Malachi chapter 4. Let's go, guys. Malachi chapter 4. Here's one of those, here's one of those know your Bibles moments. You should. You should be aware of this, right? You've heard this a million times, so see it. Verse 5. It's the last two verses of the Old Testament, appropriately. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. There may still be some elements of this that have a future fulfillment. Some people talk about that in one way or another. But really... John the Baptist, Jesus himself later explains, is the one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, pointing ahead to the Messiah who would come. But when these religious leaders asked, are you Messiah? John the Baptist cleverly and wisely gave them a literal answer, perhaps knowing the hardness of their hearts, which he did. In another place, when they came out, what did John the Baptist say to him? You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, he knew of the coldness and the hardness of the hearts of the religious leaders at the time. So they came and said, are you Elijah? And he just gave them a very literal answer. Nope, I am not. Are you the prophet? You know what that's a reference to? That's a reference to something Moses wrote all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. I won't make a turn there now, but Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses said that another prophet would arise like him, uh, paraphrasing, he was going to lead the people. You need to listen to him, do what he says. That was a reference to Messiah who would come all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. So the Jews knew that Messiah was coming. That's their first question. Are you the Christ? I'm not the Christ, he says. Then they knew that there was a prophecy that Elijah comes first. So they asked, are you Elijah? No, I'm not. And they knew of Moses' words in the law. Are you the prophet? So they asked, are you the prophet? And he said, no. So then they get down to it. Verse 22. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And then he quotes from Isaiah and says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yahweh, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, 
saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, and here's why. Here's why John the Baptist baptized in verse 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Ready? It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me. You catch what that means, right? Chronologically, he's coming after me, but he's in importance much more important than I. In fact, not even worthy to tie his, loose his sandal strap, he goes on to say, right? Verse 28 says, These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, the next day, after all that, guess who shows up on the scene? The one that he said was among them, and they did not know. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, listen, every Jew would have known that the Lamb was the, the animal that was sacrificed at the Passover, right? And symbolized God's judgment passing over the houses where there was faith in the, the promise that, that God would deliver them. And here he says, there's God's Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. There's the, there's the point of his ministry. I came baptizing with water because this is the one that we were expecting. I didn't know him, but I knew he was here. I knew he was coming. God sent me to baptize to get you ready for him. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remaining upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, ready, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Right? So, go back to Acts chapter 19. So you see, it is not through, though the message of John the Baptist is the message that God wanted him to preach. And it is the message that correctly and prophetically looked ahead to Jesus who would to come. It is only through faith in Jesus himself that the Holy Spirit is given to a person. Thus, the question, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because that would help Paul to know right from the get-go how far along in their understanding they were. We don't really have that issue in today's day and age, do we? I mean, it's pretty cut and dry now. People are, the gospel is published, has been published for 2,000 years. You have people now that they either believe on Jesus or they don't. Right? And even like a Jewish person, you don't really have Jews who believe the message of John the Baptist but reject Jesus, right? I mean, because he said there's one who stands among you. He hasn't been among them for 2,000 years, right? So, so you, you don't really have this specific issue today. But it was very much still an issue in the days of the apostles that you had people who heard and believed the message of John the Baptist but not yet, had not yet heard of Jesus. It's fascinating, isn't it? Look, why is this in the Bible? Why do you need to know this? I just said it doesn't really affect too much today. 
Well, you need to know this. There's a couple of, there's one very important implication, which is that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit when they believe, which we'll get to in a moment. But also, there is the potential, if this is not in the Bible, this account, if this is not given to us, it opens the door for someone to say, yeah, but what about, you know how like when you witness to people, and someone will say, but yeah, what about the people in this place or this place or some remote place who never hear the gospel? And it all becomes like an excuse to put, you know, their own like accountability for how they respond to the message off on somebody else. This becomes a major potential of a point of deflection if, if somebody is like, yeah, you know what? What about the people who heard, the John, heard of John the Baptist but never heard of Jesus? Do they just die and go to hell? That doesn't seem fair. Well, we're told how God dealt with it. God dealt with it because when his apostles went around in the first century, they knew such people existed. And we've seen two occasions now where they were encountered. Apollos with Aquila and Priscilla, and now these people with Paul and his team, right? So it gives us that detail, historically, if you will. But look, listen, history in the Bible is a huge part of our faith, Right? We are given knowledge in Scripture of how these things go. So we can look at this and with confidence, this is so important, catch this, with confidence we can know that every single one who is one of God's elect, he will not miss and he will not lose. Everyone who is one of his, Right? not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter wrote, right? God's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Cannot be a reference to every person in the world universally, because not everyone comes to repentance, right? And so who is a reference to? Everyone who he has foreknown, predestined, chosen. Every single one. And he will not miss one. You see that in this. Do you? You have something about who God is revealed then in this story, which I think is very powerful. I hope you receive that. Now, uh, so, verse 3 then. Into what baptism were you baptized? So they said, into John's, right? So, so right up the front, there you're told, they were baptized into John the Baptist. So Paul says, in verse 4, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people, here's your explanation, that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to point something out to you. Look at your new King James Bible. You, need to, you want to know your Bible. You ought to understand this. You notice the word this is in italics. My own opinion, and not mine alone, is that the word this in italics there doesn't actually help. I think it's simply supposed to be when they heard they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's not just that when they heard this, that people who uh, would believe on the one who would come after him. It's when they heard. Heard what? Heard the message of Christ Jesus. Heard the gospel of Christ Jesus. I think what Paul did here was, this is the point where Paul preached to them 
the gospel. This is the point where Paul preached to them the message that John the Baptist's ministry looked ahead to. They were not, I believe they were God's chosen, but they had not yet been saved simply by hearing John the Baptist's message. I know that to be true because they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that makes us alive. Jesus taught when he spoke to Nicodemus that it is being born from above or being born from the Spirit that makes us alive. That which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit of spirit is spirit. You're born of water is one thing, born of the Spirit is something else, right? And so that's the, the teaching here. These guys were not yet born again. Even though they had heard the message of, the John, of John the Baptist, and they believed the message of John the Baptist, they needed to hear the gospel to be saved. And when they believed the gospel, that's when they received the Holy Spirit. And may I say to you, that is still true today. When somebody hears the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and believes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is in that moment of faith that they receive the Holy Spirit. They are made alive. Now, you have the Holy Spirit if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. From there, then, you are commanded to what? Be filled with the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. To not quench the Spirit. To not grieve the Spirit. At the moment that a person believes, reconciliation to God happens because God comes into them and lives in them. The Holy Spirit lives in them. But then you begin to walk. You begin a walk, a life that is lived in relationship with the God who is now at that moment your father. You have been adopted. You have become a child of God. And as you walk, you are called to walk not in the flesh, not in the ways of the old man, not carnally. You are called to walk spiritually. You are called to walk before the Lord, filled with His Spirit, led by His Spirit, controlled by His Spirit, using the gifts and abilities that the Spirit gives you, and not grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit by anything sinful or anything evil, things the devil might throw in your path, or things that just in your old nature might creep up. It's why you need to be in the Word every day. It's why you need to be in prayer every day. These are not just legalistic requirements on Christians. If you're going to walk closely with the Lord, it is, it's, it's in here, it's in here. It's in here, it's in here. You need to, it's, it's there, there's a certain amount of spiritual discipline that is required of every Christian. Listen, not to be saved. You're saved when you receive Christ by faith. But if you're going to walk with Him and be filled with His Spirit and be led by the Spirit, you need to be in the Word. You need to be meditating on the Word. You need to be, on the other hand, not filling yourself up with wickedness and evil things in the world. Right? You need to be longing for God and loving God. And we quench that desire for God out when we fill ourselves up on the appetites and desires of our flesh. We need to walk in the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy Spirit and not grieve Him and not quench Him. That can happen in the life of a Christian. Right? You follow all this? What's the difference between someone who has believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and every other person on planet earth. We who have by his grace believed the gospel have him, God, the Holy Spirit, living in us. 
1 Corinthians asks, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're not your own? Right? So these guys, then, they hear the message of the gospel. And it says in verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's part of the Great Commission. Right? They had been baptized with John the Baptist's baptism, but what they needed to be baptized, and this is a reference to water baptism here, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every person who believes the gospel ought to be baptized. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In that saying, he is not making baptism a requirement for salvation because he says he who does not believe will be condemned, not he who does not believe and he who is not baptized will be condemned. But what he's doing, what he says is he who believes and is baptized, he's taking that act of baptism and linking it to believing as the outward act or the outward symbol that somebody uh, goes through, goes through the waters of baptism to declare to the world and to identify with Jesus that he's believed the gospel. Do you understand that? You're not saved by being baptized in water, but your being baptized in water is an act of obedience and an act of identification with Jesus. So if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've not been baptized with water, you ought to be. You're not lost if you don't, but you ought to be because you want to honor Him and you want to please Him and you want to obey Him and you want to identify with Him, right? So if you need to be baptized in water, come and talk to me and let's get that taken care of. If you believe the gospel, right? So that's what happens is they hear the message of Christ and they believe. And by the way, you know, the great commission, right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus said after he rose from the dead, all authority, heaven and earth, it's mine. Therefore, in other words, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples of all the nations. That is disciples of Jesus. These guys were disciples of John the Baptist. Jesus says, go make disciples of me, of all nations. Here's how. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. That means you preach the gospel, and when someone believes, they are baptized in water. Right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's how a disciple is made. Preach the gospel baptize those who believe and then begin to teach and teach and teach and teach and teach the entire life of a disciple. The word disciple and the word discipline are the same word. You know that, right? A a disciple is someone who spiritually disciplines himself to learn from and be like his master, who is Jesus. That's what discipleship is, right? So, the process to preach the gospel, baptize those who believe, and teach, teach, teach for the life of a Christian, the word, the word, the word, the word. Right? The Holy Spirit, how does the Holy Spirit fit into that? When the person believes the gospel, they are brought to life. They are born again. The Holy Spirit comes into them. And as the word of God is taught in the church, 
the person who is a true believer with the Holy Spirit in them has the Holy Spirit in them who really is the teacher, the one who's opening the mind and the heart to receive and understand and be led and guided by the things in the, in the Word of God that are learned. Amen. Do you follow all that? I told you this was like a, this was like a description. It's like going back to square one and having a description of like what happens when someone really, when, when someone really gets saved, what really happens. That's important to know because that's what you see happening here at Ephesus. You have these people that are disciples, but they're not disciples of Christ. They're disciples of John the Baptist, which was good and was important, but it didn't finish the job, so to speak. Because they, they weren't even aware of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? They weren't even aware of the Holy Spirit because it wasn't... I mean, it was part of John the Baptist's message in as much as he said, when Jesus comes, he'll be the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But it didn't have anything to do with what John himself was preaching or doing. So Paul goes... God, in his sovereignty, brings these people together. He preaches Christ to them. They believe. Verse 5 says, They're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, there's one thing that should be pointed out here. Um, Not the speaking with tongues and the prophesying. That's another subject for another day, which will come as we're going through 1 Corinthians. Trust me, that's coming. But the laying on of the hands... Does someone need hands laid on them to receive the Holy Spirit? I think the answer is no. And I think the reason why it was different in the early days of the apostles was because you had these unique situations. The Holy Spirit first came upon the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Then the Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans when Peter went to them and prayed for them and laid hands on them. Then the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 when he went to the house of Cornelius and preached and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So every time like some new group of people, and this is God's way of bringing all nations as one to him in Christ, those who would believe. Every time there was like a new group, the, the, the Holy Spirit was introduced to them by way of someone either speaking something or laying hands on them like this. And you had this whole class, if you will, of people who had believed the message of John the Baptist, but not yet the gospel. So to symbolize their oneness with the entire church that the Lord was building, Paul had hands laid on them and they received the Holy Spirit. But if you're in Christ, I mean, I, I've got, I know it for myself and I'm trusting you all know it for yourselves. You know that when you believe the Holy Spirit came into you, you, if you find yourself convicted of sin as a believer, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. If you find yourself able to understand and receive and believe and be overjoyed by the preaching and teaching of Christian doctrine in the scriptures, that's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. If you find yourself able to worship and love and pray to and trust in and believe that a God you've never seen with your eyes can hear you because you're praying to Him in the name of Jesus, that's because of the Holy Spirit in you. If you're able to find courage and strength in the words to share with somebody the way of this eternal life because you've prayed and asked God for help, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You understand? The proof of the Holy Spirit's presence 
It's just like when you look at creation, you know God created. The proof of the Holy Spirit's presence is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's work in you. In this case, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. But boy, oh boy, that is not the only way that God manifests the presence of His Spirit in people. That's why you're called to be filled and to not quench and to not grieve. That's why you're called to walk in the Spirit and not quench and not grieve because there is all kinds of stuff that God wants to manifest the power of His Spirit through you with. Amen? All right. I think that's where we're going to end it for today. And we'll go on next week. But I hope that gave you some appreciation. What do you practically take from this? Well, you take the history lesson, but may, let me have singers, come on up here. We're going to close with a hymn. We've been, we've been trying to do this 358 for like four weeks in a row now. Today we're going to do it. So come on up here, all right? So come on up. So yeah, that's right. It didn't fall down today, so we're going to do it. All right, so, but anyway, hopefully what you garner from this is the distinct blessing that it is for a Christian to have God the Holy Spirit Himself living in you. Go from here. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. That is what makes a Christian sanctified, alive, and distinct from the world around him.